Hey guys, welcome back to the channel, the show where we help you manage your emotions so you get your willpower back. Discipline, that's probably what you want to some degree. You see, make the decisions that you want to make, but discipline does not exist unto itself. You don't get discipline by being more disciplined. There are processes, there are psychological processes that lead to discipline. So let's get clear about what those processes are so the discipline will take care of itself. That's what we're going to talk about today, is that it's like psychological concepts that I guess aren't ends in themselves. We just got to get clear about the processes that lead up to that, that concept. Today, it's self-hatred. And ultimately, yeah, if you're, not, if you're not changing, then it's an issue of awareness. You think, oh, I'm aware of my issue. I know what it is. I don't think you do. If you're not changing, we need more awareness. We need more clarity. Once we get enough clarity... I promise you, the issue that you have, however you experience your symptoms of dysregulated emotions, they will take care of themselves. So yeah, that's what we're talking about today. I was uh, asked to respond to this lecture. I was going to do this as a typical response video, you know, with my little my face in the corner there. But the the, the lecture was 40 minutes. I, you know, even if I listen back at 125 or 15 playback, maybe kind of long which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It, it doesn't matter. The point is, is I watched this lecture. Thank you for sending me these. You can reach out on Twitter. Also, email animus at animusempire.com. Just let me know uh, what you want me to talk about. I mean, that's interested in me. I mean, I mean, that's way better than me sitting in my office here alone thinking of video ideas. So this uh, listener sent me a lecture by Dr. Nick Bendit on self-hatred. And why it's difficult to treat and I just gotta be honest th this lecture gave me some PTSD because I've I've been to like it feels like a million of these lectures in person and just this guy's way of dealing with this topic we're gonna get to it and uh, he's just all over the place it's it's a hodgepodge of information I mean just to let you know where I'm going there's perhaps some helpful information here in this lecture but it's a hodgepodge just all these different bits of information with no unifying principle for the information. Exactly what I say in my intro video for this channel, for this website. Um, and I could just imagine going up to him after the lecture and asking him a, a perhaps leading question into, well, what if we unify this? Or, or what's the similarities? And I can imagine his response of something to the effect of everybody's different, or maybe that works in some situations, but not every situation. And he thinks he's talking about psychology. Really what he's talking about is his own poor epistemology, his own inability to integrate seemingly disparate pieces of information. So this lecture is broken up into the third parts. So I'm just going to go through some main points that he brings up. Again, I'm not sure how well this is going to work out, but if nothing else, this channel is great information uh, for, for you and your psychology. I want it to be that. I want to, to give you great information that, that you can chew on throughout the week and, and talk with your friends about, and if, again, if nothing else. Uh, these videos, this audio helps you fall asleep. So he breaks the, the lecture up into three parts. He talks about the causes of self-hatred, how to deal with self-hatred, sort of, but not really. He, he ultimately uncovers a conflict in how he deals with self-hatred, but he doesn't resolve that conflict. And then finally we get to the treatment of self-hatred and that's where the hodgepodge is. So let's just go through these three different parts of the lecture one by one. By the way, his lecture is not structured this well. I am rearranging different points that he makes. I am in a, in a sense, by responding to this lecture, I edit the lecture. 
because he can't organize his thoughts, and he can't organize his thoughts because he can't think that well. You know, you know the the book that I, I recommend everybody read who wants to get better at writing is Writing and Thinking by Forrester and Stedman. It's writing and thinking. You cannot write well. You cannot speak well. In order to do that, you got to learn how to think well. So what causes self-hatred? Yes, it's about early rejection. Yes, it's about you know non-recognition and how it's worse than negative recognition. You know, just being ignored when you're a child and perhaps when you're younger than four, you don't even remember it. You know, uh, you know when when you're raising a toddler, it's it's like that Maya Angelou quotation. You know, people don't remember what you say, but they remember how you make them felt. Yeah, toddlers don't remember anything or not too much, but they remember they unconsciously remember how they felt for those first four years and how non-recognition is worse than negative recognition. Uh, there's a particular problem here with yes, emotional abuse, physical abuse, those are terrible. But there's a particular problem here with sexual abuse. The sexual abuse in young children, how that causes uh, increased uh, amount of self-hatred. It's self-hatred to the nth degree. Uh, you know, and by the way, I just want to say self-hatred is something I, I think that we all experience to some degree. But I guess he's talking about real inveterate self-hatred. He talks about how self-hatred isn't low self-esteem because he gives this vignette of this woman he was, he was treating. It doesn't, I don't have to go in the vignette. Maybe I'll just reference it. It doesn't matter. She experienced a sexual assault. By the way, I've, I've definitely noticed that too. You know, physical abuse, emotional abuse, that's, that can cause some issues. But then when there's sexual abuse, it's like, you know, we can work through it. Those are things, you know, those things that make your face melt off, as I say, we can work through it. But when it's sexual abuse, it's just, it's not trickier. It's just, you know, those those emotional issues are just more impacted in your unconscious. But then he talks about how self-hatred isn't low self-esteem. Because, um, yeah, this woman who he's, uh, this vignette of this woman who he treated, he talks about how she presented as high self-esteem. And, you know, she sat up straight and she projected her voice and she was confrontational. But then later on in the lecture, he talks about how people can learn to adapt and, and they have the trappings of high self-esteem or, or trappings of not having self-hatred even though they are very much uh, in hatred of themselves. So that's just one issue there where he contradicts himself openly, an open contradiction that he doesn't acknowledge and you know definitely doesn't seek to resolve. Yes, people can have trappings of not hating themselves even if they hate themselves. People can have the trappings of high self-esteem. If, even if they have low self-esteem and in fact you know uh, practicing or cultivating those trappings cultivating the behaviors of somebody who has high self-esteem can be a great psychological payoff putting on an act can be a great psychological payoff for actually not managing the low self-esteem for what it is and of course what's going on here when he's talking about the the cause of of self-hatred and maybe this wouldn't be the best place to bring it up, but what he talks about here is patterns, but only the external patterns. Right? He only focuses on the external patterns in the environment that lead to self-hatred. Not the patterns now, not the internal patterns in the moment. You know, just, just a huge, uh, I guess, plot hole. If this lecture was a story, that would be a huge plot hole in this lecture. And then he talks about, you know, the second thing, two ways to deal 
with self-hatred. And there's an inherent conflict here that he doesn't, he doesn't resolve. So one is you could talk about the self-hatred, but ultimately there's no resolution to the self-hatred. If you just talk about the self-hatred in and of itself, it doesn't necessarily resolve the self-hatred. It, it can help to some degree, but he also talks about the, the very real threat in therapy of what if you talk about self-hatred, which he, towards the end of the lecture he, he uh, likens to, to shame. It becomes synonymous with shame, shame and self-hatred. If you talk about shame, it can bring about more shame. Uh, and people who have a lot of shame and a lot of self-hatred, they're afraid to talk about it. But, and, you know, this is a, a good point. That This is a good fact that he talks about, and it, it's, it's good to notice these facts. He talks about how people who have self-hatred or a lot of shame are afraid to talk about it because they think it's going to rub off on other people. Like, I don't want to talk about my shame, even with a therapist, because if I do, then the therapist is going to be aware, more aware of shame, and then he's going to get the bug. He's going to get the virus, this virus that we don't have a cure for, and it's just going to grow. So what I need to do is, in effect, is this shame stops with me. And, I mean, now you start to think, if you haven't had a suicidal ideation before, now you start to realize, oh yeah, suicide can definitely make a lot of sense. Like you can convince yourself into committing suicide when you bring this uh, mental framework to shame. Is This needs to stop with me. There's nothing I can deal with. There's nothing I can do to deal with. This needs to stop with me. Right? Um, you know, it's just why that, like my heart aches. I don't care if that sounds lame. My heart aches when I'm looking at memes on Twitter or the internet and it's something to the effect of what men, you know, men don't need SSRIs. Maybe I'll do a video about the uh, the recent uh, study or meta-analysis that said that uh, depression has nothing to do with serotonin. But, but if you go and watch my video on SSRIs and find myths about them, the reason why serotonin and, and by the way, which is nothing new, we, we already know that just increasing your levels of serotonin. I know I'm getting off topic. We'll get back to the self-hatred thing, but I just got to say, just increasing your levels of, of serotonin does not lead to um, the absence of depression. We, we've known that for a long time. That's nothing new. I don't know, but for, for whatever reason, people have latched onto this study. Maybe because it's a big meta-analysis, but it's something we already know, and it's an issue I definitely address in my SSRI video. Um, maybe, I'll, But I'm going to save that for another... Uh, the answer is in that SSRI video. And I, I even say it explicitly, but it's I, I just it's maybe five seconds long. So just go look for that. Okay, so we're talking about how to deal with self-hatred. Uh, okay, so there's a conflict there. There's an inherent conflict here that this guy doesn't speak to. That you can talk about shame and self-hatred, but that doesn't necessarily lead to resolving it. And the other way to uh, deal with self-hatred is to not talk about it at all. To not just just ignore it, which of course doesn't help manage it at all. So what do you do? I mean, how do you bridge this gap between okay, we can't ignore self hatred, but also we can't talk about it. What do we need to do? How do we approach that problem? Probably some clarity. Okay, so let's see if he gets into some clarity or clarity of what self hatred is now and where it comes from. So do we get into any clarity into the treatment? No, of course. This is when the lecture becomes even more of a hodgepodge. And he does, but he but does make some good points. A hodgepodge doesn't necessarily preclude the fact that there are some good hodges in that podge, right? And one of the good hodges is 
He talks about logical interventions, reassurance, you know, looking for evidence, saying, oh, look, you, you can't be a bad person because look at these good things you did or, you know, m making contradictions or, no, look, I saw you do this other thing and look at the, you have your children who love you. How can you possibly have self-hatred? I mean, it's good in some respect. It, it, by the way, this is part of CBT. This is what you learn in CBT to, to do logical contradictions. And he, and he rightly points out, and thank you, Dr. Bendit, for uh, pointing this out, that this just makes it worse. Because you didn't get this belief. You didn't logic yourself into this belief that you hate yourself, that, that you are unworthy of love, that you are shameful. Right? A, lot of, a lot of it stems from being ignored, childhood abuse, especially sexual abuse. You didn't logic yourself into it. You can't logic yourself out of it. So thank you for uh, calling attention to that. And in a way, he, he really uh, undercuts a lot of CBT theory with just that one point. So then how, how do you treat uh, shame, self-hatred? Well, got to have warmth. You got to have like a non-judgmental curiosity. In a sense, create a relationship with the therapist. So coldness, separation causes self-hatred. So what we need to do is warmness, warmth and connection, warmness, warmth and connection that leads to liking yourself. That leads to the opposite of shame, the feeling that you have the right to exist. That's what I say in my free ebook on the site, Man's Guide to Shame. But wait, how can we talk about shame if talking about shame leads to more shame? Well, do we just talk about it with a feeling of, or with a sense of warmth and non-judgmentalism? Okay, that could help. But now you're just talking about a therapeutic approach. You're really not giving any clarity to what the shame is, right? Which is going to let you know how to treat it in a healthy way, even if perhaps you don't have warmth or this uh, presence of non-judgmentalism, which I think, of course, are important, but again, not fundamental. You encourage the patient to share more. You encourage the patient to share more about what's going on with them, but uh, you can't make them share more. Okay, that's not wrong, although it's not really helpful. Then he makes this point. You can't educate patients about shame, clients about shame, because psychoeducation isn't treatment, which is true. I think learning about shame necessarily is not the treatment, and it doesn't really help it, you know <laughs> people... You know, people with, especially, I, I see this a lot with codependents. People have codependent issues. They have the bookshelves full of books about codependent and what it is. And it's clear that this does not, they can learn more about it. You know, they, they could write 10 theses on codependence, but it doesn't help them overcome their codependence. The education in itself does not clear up the issue. True. But the implication here is the education is somehow different from the therapy. There's the education over here, the psychoeducation, then there's the therapy, and these are two different things. Let's not mix up the two. That's true in a sense, but also, if it's the proper education, if it's showing you, you know, not just learning about the external patterns that lead to shame or self-hatred, but learning about the internal emotional patterns that lead to self-hatred, then what this education does, what the psychoeducation does, is it informs the therapy. That's the idea. But he has that false dichotomy, which is going to make any therapeutic intervention just very, just not as helpful as it could be, even if you do bring a lot of warmth and non-judgmentalism to the therapy. And then he talks about if, if you're dealing with somebody who has a self-hatred and shame, be uh, careful about saying anything too positive to them because they're going to have a negative reaction. But of course, the implication there is you would only say something positive of something to the effect of, oh, you must be really proud of yourself. You did this 
thing that, that you wanted to do. You must be proud of yourself. You know, somebody has a lot of self-hatred, they're going to think you're full of crap in a sense. And you said the woman who is treating literally wretched. I kind of doubt that, but okay. Maybe she wretched. But the implication there is you're only saying positive things to the client if you're only saying it to make them feel better about themselves. Like, I don't care. And this is something that you get from, from reading Jung. I mean, this is a, a big influence that Jung had on me implicitly, even though it's not a point that he brings up a lot, is part of having a, a healthy relationship with somebody. It's not a fake, warm, non-judgmental relationship. Part of it is having an authentic relationship. So when the client says something and it hurts you, do you try to hide that? Well, I was trained. I was trained in this uh, Carl Rogers, uh, you know, uh, infinite uh, total positive regard. I even forget the name of it. Um, humanistic approach. That was, you know, my main schooling and therapy and in the treatment and, um, and then how I was trained. Well, that's not a real connection. That is a fake connection. That is putting on a false front <laughs> to make the patient feel, to make the client feel better. I don't know why I'm saying patient not, to make the client feel better. Well, that's not a real connection. That is not the opposite of cold and disconnected. Right? So it kind of makes it seem like any positive thing you say, you're only saying it to make the patient, there I go again, to make the client I have real issues with people, with uh, therapists or psychologists who say patient. Uh, we don't have to get into this in this video, but you can imagine what those issues would be, I think. Um, right, because it's not a real connection. So if you feel something, like if the patient, the client freaking says something that hurts you, you let them know. If they do something that you think, wow, that's just really great, you let them know. Do they retch? Maybe they retch. But retching, that's a, a natural response to having a healthy relationship with somebody. So you need to say what you need to say to the client. And if the client needs to retch, that's okay. That is building a healthier connection. Not this fake, non-judgmental, you know, just infinite warmth. Oh, everything's fine. Sometimes things aren't fine. And you need to say that. Because that's how we ultimately manage our issues, right? Is we bring clarity. If we can't speak directly to an issue, then we're not going to bring clarity. So it's just these constant contradictions that this guy, uh, Dr. Bendit, brings up in, in the treatment of self-hatred. And then he talks about mindfulness and meditation and how these can be a problem because if you leave somebody who has self-hatred alone with their thoughts, then they can have a psychotic break, which is true. But of course, what's, what's he missing out here is there's no structure to the mindfulness. There's no structure to the meditation, right? Medit like I say in my meditation lecture, it's simply a tool. It's simply a tool that you use to become more aware of your psychology. But if you don't understand what your psychology is, if you don't understand how it works, if there's no structure, if there's no unifying theory of how your emotions work and how those uh, create your identity and self-awareness, then I don't know what you mean by mindfulness and meditation. I guess all you mean is you sit alone in a room without distraction. Oh man, yeah, real PTSD, <laughs> real PTSD. Well, maybe this is a part of healthy therapy for me. I go and watch these and I, I rant to you guys about it. So what's the takeaway here? 
I guess the takeaway is, yeah, what I bring up in my intro video for this channel, for this website, is that there's two problems in therapy right now. It is either precise yet shallow, which Dr. Bendit criticizes. It's precise yet shallow. Oh, you have this negative belief about yourself. Let's change that belief. We treat that belief like a thing unto itself. We just got to change the belief. Do your affirmations, you know, whatever. Do, do your morning salutations. Do your gratitude list. We're going to change that belief, and then your actions are going to change. That is precise yet shallow because it doesn't look at the processes that lead to the self-hatred, that lead to the, the feeling that you, in a sense, don't have the right to exist. So that's the one problem in therapy. But the other problem in therapy, as exemplified by this lecture, is it's, it's fundamental yet vague. And I would even say in this, this lecture, it's not even fundamental. It tries to be fundamental. It, it tries to, to, to grasp on the fundamental issues of the field. And just trying to be more fundamental, it becomes vague. This is the main problem in modern psychology, in modern therapy, self-help, mindset training, what have you. So how do we bridge this gap? The same way you bridge this gap in therapy. The same way you bridge this gap when somebody has shame and you, you, you can't talk about it directly because you know it's going to trigger all the shame, but also you can't ignore it. You need to understand. You need clarity. You need to understand where your so-called negative beliefs come from. And looking at the external patterns, uh, that might be helpful, but that's not therapy. That is, in fact, the opposite of what therapy is. Therapy is looking at, like, yes, we understand you have suffered abuse and this could cause self-hatred. But what is causing the self, what is perpetuating the self-hatred now in your own psyche? Let's get really clear about that. And in the therapy that I do, it's typically three or four unconscious steps that you make, unconscious uh, mismanagement of your emotions that would lead to something like self-hatred if that is a problem you have. And we got to get, you know, painfully clear, just so obviously clear about what those precise emotional steps are. I know you're feeling them. I know you feel those precise emotional steps and it may, it probably just feels like one glob, but we got to just get really clear about it. And then when we're really clear about it, well, guess what? That gives us the exact structure we need or that informs that implicates the structure that we need to talk through it, to bring more awareness to it. And of course, with more awareness, the behavior inevitably changes. And so the self-hatred, the belief of self-hatred, the belief that you're not good enough, that's going to change. You know, but, the, but there is a good part of this lecture, right? Like everybody, we, we have these beliefs and, and that is the, the, the fundamental premise of, of mindset training. Um, a lot of life coaches, I mean, that this is like the, the main philosophy behind life coaching. CBT pretends to have more of a deep philosophy than this, but it doesn't. It's ultimately, okay, you have these, you act on your beliefs, which is true. You act on your beliefs. So we just got, we just got to change the beliefs and we change your actions. No, because you don't look at where the beliefs come from. And we, we just got to get really clear about that. And, and without that, I'm sorry, it's just not proper therapy. And you may be able to change it. You know, if you go to a guy like Dr. Bendit, um, there's a bunch of guys out there like that who don't really understand the field, don't, don't really understand how psychology works, but they may be a good clinician in, in a certain context, and that alone can help. 
but there is just a, a better way of doing this. I don't know. Sometimes I come on here and I say, hey guys, like you just got to reach out and, and try therapy if nothing else. And I, I try to be maybe humble, but maybe some of it's uh, false modesty. I got to be honest. I don't know. I, I can't help everybody, but I think if, if you're somehow resonating with, with my ideas, if this somehow seems to make some kind of sense, even if you can't put your finger on exactly what makes sense about it, I don't think you're really going to get that much help going to another therapist. Um, I don't think you need me to be your therapist, but you need to understand my approach. You need to understand my approach to managing these unconscious issues. You don't necessarily need to talk to me, but I think you, you got to incorporate these ideas, right? Like Kant says, if we're going to have a future to, to metaphysics, to understanding metaphysics, we, we just got to get some things right now. I think Kant was ultimately wrong, but just like that, if, if psychology is going to be, I, I just, just like the, the implication of calling his book a prolegomena to any future metaphysics. Like if this is going, if philosophy is going to be a field, we got to get some foundations right. He was wrong, but I liked his approach. That's kind of my approach to, to this. Like if psychology is going to be a field, we need to get some fundamentals right. I think I can help you. We do free consultations, animusempire.com slash schedule thank you guys like and subscribe if you want talk with your friends about these issues if you want and remember that um, we need to clarify your issues we need to bring clarity to what your issues are and without doing this without bringing this clarity to your issues any chance that you're going to change will be greatly diminished 